Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the C-Squared podcast. Here we are with a bit of a delay. We had a crazy couple of weeks. Uh, Fabi, you've been traveling from uh, Europe. You went on some sort of a vacation. Um, I fell down with some sort of a sickness as well for the past few days. So we got delayed by a few factors. But finally, here we are ready to do another uh, episode. Excited about this. How are you feeling to be back um, on stateside? Yeah, I'm glad to be back. It was a long trip in Europe, included a tournament, the Vikingsay tournament. My plans changed a bit. My initial plan was to get my course done in time and film it before the American Cup starts. Didn't really work out. I, I underestimated a bit the amount of work, so uh, I figured I'm, I'm not going to have enough time in Europe. And um, also, my parents got a bit sick, Not nothing serious. But they came down with something and I was like debating a bit if I would need to stay around in case they need some help. But they were recovering, but I also didn't want to, to you know, uh, catch a bug. Yeah. And normally I'm, I'm visiting them. So I decided just to come back and postpone everything that I have to do in Europe a little bit. And I'll, I'll play the American Cup. Of course, there's some stuff before that, which will be interesting. Um, but yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully you're not going to catch anything from me. But I did tell you in advance that I had a sickness and you agreed to meet. So there we go. Hopefully nothing bad is going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm not like usually worried about, I don't know. I, I mean, uh, some people are very worried about these things. Yeah. I understand that. But uh, yeah, you hope that you don't get sick, but it's not really something you can fully avoid, right? You know, the, we're exposed to a lot of things. And uh, luckily, like the last few, like you remember before bike, I was feeling a bit under the weather, but it something which passed very quickly. It was like two days. Just the day that we actually traveled. To yeah, yeah it, was, it was definitely something. I, I like took some medicine for my for my throat. I was getting a bit of a scratchy throat. But but usually, I don't know if this is a normal thing, but when I was in my like late teens, early 20s, I was getting sick more often and usually for longer periods. Mm. And I don't know if you like build up some sort of immunity to common viruses over the years, but now, let's say 10 years since then, it, it feels like um, if I get sick, it's usually a much more mild thing. And maybe that's the thing, because also I, I know it's like people who are, who are elderly, they usually don't get like common colds. That's supposedly uh, the science. Yeah, you build up some sort of immunity against these I guess that's the thing, common right? viruses. Yeah. I was talking with Yasser at some point when he was here in St. Louis and he was telling me that he hasn't been sick for like 20 plus years. And I was like, dude, really? I mean, you're a tank. I think there's probably selective memory. Probably. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I have a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who remembers if they were sick 18 years, if they had a cold 18 years ago? I tend to say the same thing. I tend to say that I haven't gotten sick since college. And I do remember the last time I got sick in college, like pretty seriously sick. But since then, I couldn't remember anything. And obviously... Last year, I, I got the Rona, and now I have some sort of a flu right now, but I think I killed it in I three days. I remember, like, the most serious illness I got was during a tournament, and it was tonsillitis. World Cup, right? World Cup 2017. Yep. I remember that. And I was playing. I, I couldn't Liar. sleep at all. I couldn't breathe. I was taking 2,000 milligrams of ibuprofen a day, that's which a is, is serious. That's a lot. <laughs> serious. That's like 10 Advil a day, <laughs> yes. right? If you're going for the 200 milligrams. Um, and Rustam was like brewing some sort of herbal tea, which I don't think it helped much, but it was like at least 
you have to drink something. It, there like, was Uzbek uh, potion, yeah. I think it was to some, get you better. Some like generic fruit tea. Um, but anyway, and then, and then I like lost horribly. It was it was really miserable. Like my throat was closed, my tonsils were so swollen I couldn't couldn't breathe that through my mouth. It was just through my nose. Um, couldn't swallow. It was like, so I have this theory about when we get sick. And uh, I think I checked it with other sources as well, but this is my theory. So I think that whenever we travel and whenever we run on adrenaline, our immune system fights everything off. But as soon as we get back home and we relax a little bit, then the immune system doesn't work as well. And then you're more yeah. prone to get sick. Well, so they, they did some, some study in Netherlands. Uh, you probably have heard of this guy, Wim Hof, right? Yeah. Who... He has I, some like stuff which sounds a bit, sounds a bit kooky, which yeah, is yeah. like breathing and cold plunges, but they're starting to become a bit more normalized. Yeah. And they did this study of uh, two groups of people. One group were people who uh, didn't do anything, and all the people in the study were exposed to E. coli, which probably a small small amount, right? They didn't mm -hmm, want to get mm -hmm. them really sick, but something which would have an effect like yep. fever and uh, yep. who knows, maybe like nausea and things like that. And, of course, the people who didn't do anything, who were just exposed to it, they got sick, which is normal. But the surprising thing was that uh, the other group of people, and these were people who were practicing some sort of breathing exercise that Wim Hof is advocating for, which is, um, I think, like a deep nasal breath mm -hmm. and then a quick exhale through the mouth. Those people got much less severe symptoms from the E. coli. And it, it sounds a bit strange, right? You wouldn't think that breathing could help with this, but um, I saw like Huberman took, took this as a, as I, a topic. I do that, yeah. I, I, I try to do that as much as possible. Funny enough, I got sick after I did a pretty serious session of breathing. <laughs> I did this huge workout, then I did jujitsu as well on the same day, and I also did like my longest breathing session. I think it was 30 minutes. And the next day I got sick. Well, yeah, I mean, like jujitsu. I was feeling so good. I was to, feeling euphoric after yeah. like that day, you know. No, it feels good, but like jujitsu will expose you to all sorts of bacteria as well. Yeah, so it could, yeah. Who knows? Who yeah. knows what you could uh, pick up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, Huberman was saying that like there's some science behind the idea that you can like prime your immune system through uh, stressful activities like stressful breathing or stressful. Um, cold temperatures mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. that like increases your body stress levels and uh gets your immune response going which i don't know i don't know the science behind it but it sounds interesting I, i've been like you know playing around with those with those things recently same here and actually i've been playing with um light exposure light exposure in the morning light exposure at night as well and uh my Wait, fiance what's, what's is light, uh, light close to killing me very very soon <laughs> because uh i light I like the lights to be off as we get ready to go to bed. Uh -huh. And then I have a very, very uh, shallow light in the bathroom and I brush my teeth and I do my night chores with that light. So it's not light it. exposure. It's dark. It's at night. Okay. At night, low light exposure as okay. you get ready to uh, mm -hmm. go to sleep. And then when you wake up the first thing in the morning, in the first 30 minutes, you're supposed to go out and uh, get some sunshine, get some sunshine. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I've been playing around with that. It works. I mean, I'm 80% of the times pretty lazy to do everything that's being prescribed. But um, whenever I do it, I, I definitely 
feel and notice the difference. Yeah, I haven't been. I've seen that you should like avoid your phone in the morning. I haven't really been doing that, but I have been. That's so very difficult. consistent with this. It's hard, right? <laughs> it's to, so difficult. <laughs> I, I've been very consistent. I tried that a little bit, and at some point, I, I didn't even think about it. I just like checked my phone, and the whole thing fell apart. But I, I've been very consistent with like doing workouts in the morning. It's actually good when you have jet lag, because you wake up at like six in the morning, and what are you going to do? So you can uh, have a very productive morning. Normally, you know, you if you let's say wake up at eight thirty, nine thirty. Uh, which I guess is, is late for most people, mm-hmm. but for chess players, it's kind of normal to, to wake up yeah. at a latish time. Yeah. Then if you do like gym and breakfast and you, know, you cook and everything, then it's easy for like two, two hours to just pass by instantly. Easy, yeah. yeah. So um, it's, it's nice to wake up early in the morning, but I don't know if I'll be able to maintain that, that that's, routine. That's one thing I really enjoy whenever I come back from Europe as well. The first, let's say, week and a half, I wake up at like 6.37 and I feel like, yeah, I finally have like a full day of productivity ahead of me. After that, it all falls apart. <laughs> yeah. After like a week and a half. Especially so. during tournaments. Yeah, during tournaments, it's almost impossible. And probably not even productive to do that. Yeah, uh, If you wake up too early, then you're going to fall asleep during the game. That's definitely not a fun thing to do. Bless you. There we go. All right. So a lot of things have happened in the world of chess. One of the big stories is that of uh, the allegations made against Alejandro Ramirez by Jennifer Shahade. So we should definitely touch on uh, that since we both know personally Alejandro and Jennifer. We have worked with both of them. I have worked a lot with Alejandro. I have worked a lot with Jennifer as well as a uh, commentator here in St. Louis. And I've known Alejandro for... uh, I think, well, actually, he was one of the first people I met when I first arrived into the United States because we went to the same university. So we did spend a lot of time. Um, Our careers overlap quite a lot as well. Um, He obviously finished university and left, and I still stayed and finished my degree for a few more years. But after that, we started working um, at the St. Louis Chess Club quite close with each other as commentators, then as uh, collegiate rivals, let's say. He um, teaches at St. Louis University. I teach at the University of Missouri. So we do have a lot of overlap. And also to uh, preface this fully, um, we know Jennifer quite well uh, as well. She's been in the commentary booth for pretty much the longest Uh, But she did take a break in 2020, and now we sort of uh, know why. Uh, You want to touch upon that subject a little bit, Fabi? Yeah, of course. uh, Everyone in the chess community has heard this news. It made the waves about a week ago. I'm I'm not sure the exact timing of it. Um, Yeah, we've known both of them very long. Uh, I've I've worked with Alejandro, as, as most people know, quite a bit, and especially in 2018 when I, when I played the candidates in the world championship match. And so I saw some online, um, some people online asking for my feedback about this. And um, of course it's, it's a very, very unpleasant situation to talk about, but, but for respect for the chess community, I feel like it's, it's important to address it. Um, 
Anyway, you mentioned that the allegations were made by Jennifer Shahadi against Alejandro. Very yeah. serious allegations. And um, since then, uh, we found out that there's an ongoing investigation to these allegations by the USCF, by the St. Louis Chess Club. Um, there was a statement by Alejandro. Uh, he has legal representation, as we saw in the statement. I don't know any of the details besides that of the case. And since it is an ongoing investigation, I don't think that I should, you know, speculate on it uh, or speak on it too much. It's a, it's a very, very serious situation. And I guess we'll, we'll see what develops of it. But um, yeah, investigation is going on and, and we'll see how that gets resolved. It's a very delicate situation and of course without knowing all the details and we don't know uh, any of the details, uh, it's safe and probably best for us to not speculate and pretty much wait for everything to come out. Um, so yeah, difficult situation for um, all the parties involved and I hope to see everything resolved uh soon one way or uh, the other so that's been the big let's say story in the news um and um after that another thing that came just yesterday i think it was jobava's statement um to uh chess.com's ban one year ban from money tournaments and i think that's an important development as well because jobava came out and i don't want to misrepresent his statement so i'm just going to read it out well I, we don't have to read out the entire statement right? not the whole statement okay. no so on february 6 2023 chess.com decided to ban me from all prize events for the rest of 2023 after a game versus a chinese grandmaster i had the suspicion that my opponent was cheating now after the game i was unfortunately using an offensive language which chess.com incorrectly interpreted as racist language. None of these expressions used were meant to be racist. So he's basically uh, denying uh, the allegations. Uh, and he says that well, this is my second or third or fourth language. And I've used the language that... Well, I wouldn't say he's denying any. I mean, like he he said what he said. Yeah. It's open to interpretation, of course, what his... Yeah what his feeling was when he said that, but there's nothing to deny, right? It's all on video. Right. Um, he's just saying that he was misinterpreted. Correct. And okay, it's true. Yeah, he's he's not. And if it. anyone got offended, you have my sincere apologies. So he's apologizing mm -hmm. to whoever he insulted with those statements, which I think is fair play. And I think it's a good move by him. Um, and he continues by saying that Online cheaters on chess.com usually get a second chance if they confess. I think we can all agree that cheating is by far the worst thing you could do in chess, and especially in prize tournaments. This is one um, subject that I touched upon the last time we talked as well, and I did think that cheating is very significant as well, and maybe more significant and, and, and worse than what Jobava did. And that's why I was kind of on the fence as to why chess.com, you know, banned Jobava uh, for one year, which is significant because he probably was looking forward to win some prize money. He was, um, you know, he's a 
pretty elite level player and he has decent chances to, to yeah, score for high. sure no it costs him money he he's not guaranteed to win money but he's very likely to win a, a chunk of money throughout the year so which yeah, i think for him financially is sure. very very significant uh from my understanding he's struggling financially so you know this is a big hit for him yeah i i don't know uh about his financial situation but of course, it's unpleasant. I mean, these are he mentioned it tournaments that are important for everyone to play. All everyone's playing them. There's a reason for that. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's fun. It gives it gives us all something to do as chess yeah. players, and uh, it's a big motivation because if you play well, then you really get rewarded very very handily. Like Magnus won thirty grand from the. You won quite a nice I, penny as well. I got ten for the it's Division Two win. Yeah. Um, which is also That's great, of course. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, nice. not complaining. <laughs> but yeah, for sure. He, he definitely lost out on a bunch. So uh, it is an interesting question because, yeah, cheating is, is very serious, right, in chess? Yep. We, we've talked about that a lot. Uh, it's stealing, in my opinion. Cheating, especially in prize money events. It's stealing against stealing. other people. Yeah, you're yeah. stealing other people's money. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no, there's no way to argue that. And chess.com does give... Second chance, or at least they did. I don't know what their policy is now, but we found all this out uh, through the Hans Niemann thing that you know people like people who have been caught cheating uh, in the past have been given a second chance, a way a path to redemption. And some people don't like it. Some people think it's good. You know that if someone uh, sincerely confesses and says they'll never do it again, that they get a second chance. Uh, for to play chess, mm-hmm. and so then the question is, yeah, why doesn't Jubava also get a second chance? He he made a, a mistake. Um, we don't know like his his mindset, right? Maybe uh, it was just out of pure anger and rage, and he just said something which he regrets immensely. Uh, and also, we don't know what he communicated to Chess.com. So this is what he says: In this difficult situation, I offered them a peaceful resolution. To remove the ban and at the same time publish a mutual statement with my apology. However, chess.com have now chosen to continue the path of conflict and fight. So it seems like, at least from his perspective, they decided to uh, not allow him to get back, not allow his ban to be erased and uh, an apology issued. So they're not siding with Jabava by any means in uh, this situation. Um what is your take on that? Well, I think it doesn't really matter what my take is because this is not even a question of ethics, really. Like, we can make it into an ethical question. Is cheating worse than than saying, uh, using racially charged language and insulting people and harassing? And in the previous podcast, I said that, that what he did is worse. And some people will disagree with that and some people will agree and I don't know. But the, the the question is not really ethical, but it's it's just a question of of um, of how it looks. Mm-hmm. And when someone cheats, this is something which can be resolved quietly. Yeah. And I don't think Chess.com yeah, <laughs> has anything against Bador um, personally. I mean, I don't see why they would. And uh, and I don't think his colleagues do either. But it just looks very bad. Mm. And um, and so that's the thing. It's, it's not even a, a question of ethics, but you, you take, if chess.com took another position, they open themselves up to a PR uh, disaster. 
yeah, to some sort of disaster. It's it's quite similar to another case. It's of course different. Uh, I think what what Badur said was uh, even more uh, offensive, in, yeah. incendiary. Let's say, or mm. yeah, mm-hmm. you can say offensive. But uh, Ilya Smirin was doing commentary for an event. He was doing commentary with um, Fiona. Fiona, mm-hmm. uh, and she's a, she's a very well known figure in the chess world and also in the online streaming and commentary world um and we we've known her of course and he said some sexist he used some sexist uh language and um also some belittling stuff to her personally like he you know basically insulted her live on like it, it looks very bad that was so difficult to watch and we can argue about which look which looks or sounds worse between the two that of them that was so difficult to watch so uncomfortable it, it was uncomfortable and the reaction was very swift he got yeah. he he lost his position as, on the commentary and who knows what will happen in the future if he'll probably won't be doing commentary in official events anytime soon so to me it's just a similar situation so when you say stuff like that very publicly um it's first of all it's bad and it's even worse because you're reaching such a large audience and yeah the the reaction by any organization will naturally be to to remove you from that position um it's it's a harsh sentence but you really need to think about what uh, what you say in front of the camera yeah because you're not just representing yourself but also the tournament and the chess community and all sorts of other things uh, of course an apology is a good first step uh, yeah i don't know i mean like I have nothing against Bador, right? I mean, I I've known him where we've we've been friendly, um, but it's it's just such a such a bad look. Yeah, it's a serious breach of uh, the code of ethics that we all abide by in 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 society in the chess world as well. But so is um, cheating. So that's so that's, is cheating. That's a fair yes, point by him. Yes, it's, yes. It's just that you know he put himself in that position. Yeah, and his was much more public. I think this is the big differentiator and it's very difficult to not respond swiftly and aggressively against um, such public statements so I understand both positions it's very very difficult to choose a side I understand his um, displeasure with 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 this situation as well and he's in a difficult situation but he should have probably thought better when 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 he went for it yeah very very uh yeah i mean i don't know if it's a difficult situation like he, he's basically asking for amnesty right i mean he's asking for amnesty okay right forgiveness now. i mean it's uh, you know i guess it's good in general to be forgiving yeah but i don't know if that's the uh approach that the chess community will take yeah and after one year he will be reinstated he will be able once again to play prize money events um so this seems to be what the resolution that we're headed towards is um most likely nothing is going to change in that regard all right that one was actually just came about today and another big story since we're talking about controversial topics and it's something that we can build on uh from last week's well two weeks ago's uh podcast as well because we did discuss this and it was the story of uh russian players and there is a uh, big development i have to say the russian federation applied and supposedly will get admitted to the asian 
chess federation. So the Russian federation was considered to be a European chess federation. Now they're going to play under the Asian chess federation, if the Asian chess federation allows it, which supposedly they will. So that's a big switch. Now, FIDE came out with a statement and said that they will allow, and we were discussing this on uh, the last podcast as well, they will allow Russian players to switch federations at no cost. And that was a point of contention for us because, I mean, they should have done that long time ago, in our opinion. Um, They will do that, but only for European federations. So Russian players can change federation, but only to a European federation. This to me is makes zero sense. Like, why can't they just switch to whatever federation they want to? Like the U.S. federation, the Brazilian federation, um, the Argentine. I I don't know. Like yeah, I don't federation. know. This is. Uh, I think it's, it's very good. strange. Right? It's good that Russian players can can leave uh, because at no cost, and it's important. Yeah, no, that that's the point. I mean, because otherwise you're basically directly paying the Russian government. It's very small money, of course. It's, I mean, for the government, right? For the player, it's quite a bit. But for, for the players, it's a lot. For, yeah. for the government, it's, of course, uh, yeah, I mean... But maybe the, for, the, for the federation, is is pretty significant. I don't know how much aid they get from the government specifically, but yeah, $30,000, they can support uh, an up-and-coming Russian player, for example. Yeah, yeah of course. We, we, we shouldn't be facilitating Russia getting getting money to from from chess i mean mm-hmm. yeah that, that shouldn't be a thing um so that's good i don't really understand why they have to move to to european countries i don't get that but okay i mean maybe they just wanted to avoid the united states getting like an influx of 2700 plus players and uh and dominating the chess world which I don't even know. I don't even think that would happen because the only reason that players would want to switch specifically to the United States would be for university. And I'm not sure if people are like rushing to U.S. university uh, chess universities. Um, they might be, but probably they not. Have. I mean, I have some Russians on my team which actually have uh, changed their federations. A lot of them have been vying to try to come to the United States. I know that for a fact. Uh, we are not the only university that's offering those scholarships mm-hmm. and there have been a few Russians that have moved in the past year. year no, no for sure. There will be a lot who are attracted to the U.S., but I don't know if that would be that they would all go to the United States, for example. I'm not sure. I, I doubt that would be the case because moving to Europe is a bit it's easier, easier right? is easier, which is yeah. also a consideration for them. And if they're, let's say, 2,700 plus, they might be more focused on a professional playing career and might value a degree at American University less than, than right. other people. So maybe are. they're worried about uh, the St. Louis Chess Club or people like uh, Rex uh, to try and take them by force, by offering them, let's say, uh, you know, a good deal here in the United well, States. Well, they could do that anyway. Like, they would just have to pay the fee, right? Ah, uh, Maybe, yes. So, yes. yeah, I don't know. To me, that's a bit strange. Uh, but okay, overall, I guess it's good. It just sounds like a backdoor deal between FIDE and the Russian Federation to my eyes. Like, yeah, you cannot move to the United States, you cannot move to Argentina, but you can move anywhere in Europe. It, it makes no sense to me. Can um, they also go to Asian countries? No, just Europe, Just European countries. Yeah, just European. It specifies that only European countries. 
So what are what are like the strongest European like France, Spain, France? Fr- no, no, France is. I mean, France is by far right now. Prussia yeah. and Maxima. Yeah. yeah. Let me think. Is there something else that I mean? Okay, obviously Norway is very strong because Magnus plus like Tari Hammer is is always a very good team. Norway's big. But Azerbaijan. Um, Azerbaijan would be considered Europe or Asia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they play in the European Championship, so I would yeah. Say but I never understood this because geographically, like, I I think they're considered Europe. At least they're part of not the only by chess, right? Only, not in like the normal world. In the chess world, they're Europe. Yeah, but not in the normal world. They're Asian, right? In in the I normal mean, world, like geographically, yeah. and everything else. No? See, this maybe is... I'm like completely mistaken, but I I don't know. I mean. This is when people are going to call us out in the comments and tell us that we're completely. I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> like, but yeah, in in the chess world, they're I mean, considered you got Europe. Turkey, Russia, and okay, I mean, like Azerbaijan is. But Turkey is yeah. also considered Europe. Yeah, I yeah. know, but okay, Turkey is also it's half, like half, yeah. let's say in geographically, ge- yeah, not geographically, it's mostly in Asia, but politically, it's it's uh, it's, it's Europe, European, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, but okay, Azerbaijan is like. Is is east? Yeah, it's in the Caucasus, right? Yeah, yeah. So, I I don't know, but yeah, in chess, they've they've been European. But I think they belong to the European Federation. So, our producer is telling us that geographically uh, they're in Asia, which we kind of knew. But um, from a chess perspective, they play under the European Federation. I mean, Armenia is also in the European Championship. Yeah. Which is also like, I mean, same deal, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, I mean, yeah. Anyway, it's not, not really an important point because that's been around there for so long that they've been playing the European Championship, but... So who is it? It's France from Europe, big, Norway. From the strongest Spain? countries? Is Spain considered strong nowadays? I, I guess mean, Romania could be considered pretty strong. So, okay, Romania is, is definitely very strong. Uh, Spain, I would say, is very similar yeah. in strength because they've got Anton Guijaro and they have Paco, who are both 2,700, more or less, a little bit over, I guess, but low 2,700s. Uh, Guijaro is under. But he, okay, he's like oscillating, right? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's oscillating. Going sure. under, going over. Uh, anyway, like 20, more or less two 2,700 players and then probably a bunch who are like 26. They have a 2,670. Right? I'm trying to remember the name. Um, he's more or less up Santos Latasa? Santos Latasa, yeah. He's twenty six seventy. Yeah. Okay. So they're they're very good, but yeah. France still. We've discussed this before when we were this world team. We were discussing mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, France with Frugia and Maxime, yeah. assuming they play because they didn't play the Olympiad, are, are really really good. And they always have like Etienne, who is always very solid, and yeah. Fras, who's always very solid. Like the the older generation of French players. And now are, they are have still a, good. as well, who is ah yeah of course. 2660, 2670, yeah, yeah, something he's, he's along very those good. lines. So they have like a legit, like maybe top Very five. good team. Yeah. Top France team. France is always a favorite. And if they punch in another 2730, if they get Vituko, for example, yeah, I mean, they be will a be team. a serious contender. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it definitely feels like those are the top federations. Um, we'll see what's going to happen. Yeah. Romania is also good. I mean, Romania there's is a lot of teams. Like, okay, in, in general, not just counting Europe, but. Uzbekistan is obviously going to be a top team. Uzbekistan. Because yeah. they're going to have like two twenty two twenty seven hundred plus at least. And and maybe Abdul Zatar will be like 2750, 
well, he definitely 27, 50 plus, but maybe he'll be even like a top five player in the world at some point. So, so Uzbekistan really strong. Um, Azerbaijan just like Azerbaijan doesn't have the new guys, but, but they, they, have the they remain guys. very strong because Shakriar and Tamor are keeping their level. Timur like, is more or less retired though. That's Timur is no, he's not. I mean, he just feels like he is though, right? Well, he played I never the, see him play. Yeah, that's true. But he, he does play some online events. He played the candidates. He'll probably like... He's not like super active. He hasn't played a single tournament since the candidates. Did he? Not even online. I cannot remember a Wait, single didn't tournament he, play the he world played team? online. Or am I mistaken? I don't think play? he did. Uh, Maybe he did, but... Yeah. Even okay. if he did, that was like a four-day event, rapid event. Yeah, maybe Tamor is, is still a bit of a wild card in terms of how much he's playing. Shakriar is still active. And they have some other good guys. Like, Ralph is still active. He's still good. But yeah. it's true, they don't have, like, too many young talents. Durarbelli, who is uh, the Azeri champion. They have uh, Muradli, who is coming young up the rankings, guy, right? but he's yeah. still only 25-50. They have some talent, but it doesn't seem like they're, they're breaking through to those elite rankings. Yeah. Yeah, interesting situation, definitely. We'll see if anybody, any of the top players are going to choose to uh, switch from uh, Russia to other well, there's, federations. There's so many, like... like Fedosev, Vityukov... Okay, Grishuk. I mean, Grishuk. We, we, know, we know that Karyakin won't. Karyakin will Karyakin <laughs> stay in Russia. He's, he's made that position clear. Yeah. But Grishuk, um, Fedosev, um, yeah, Vityukov... I assume like some of because also the, like people have ties, they have family ties, yeah. and it's not it's not easy to just like uproot your life. Zvidler moved to uh, Israel, Israel, right? He changed federations. I don't know if he moved locations, but he changed federations. I don't to know Israel. either, but uh, yeah. So he made his position pretty clear. I think that was that must have been like a difficult decision because for sure he's against the war, but uh, also eight time national champion yeah well yeah but also people like even even if you like disagree with um the current events in your country as i'm sure many russian players do in their country you still like have fond feelings for your country of course for the history of your country so uh it's i'm sure there's there's a lot of um like feelings also remorse when when they when they feel like they have to leave russia for for political reasons yeah but yeah i guess we'll see what happens yeah um what else has been happening what tournaments did we have we had the uh the new tournament that's going on in dortmund the wr is it dusseldorf maybe dusseldorf yeah. yes wr masters new elite level event quite an interesting field we have a lot of youngsters we have kaimer abdusatorov uh pragnananda all of these players we have seen at uh, Tata Steel as well. We have uh, Levon, who is actually doing amazing in uh, this event. And let's talk about that. Levon, he's uh, the wild horse, let's say, going into the event. Definitely on a downtrend. But right now, after, I believe, six or seven rounds, he's on plus three, which yeah. is significant. So, yeah, yeah, the, the games are interesting. I mean, today he played against Wesley. He drew the game mm -hmm. with Black from Animzo. He actually played an idea that... He, I think he might have mentioned this, but uh, if he hasn't anyway, I don't think it's a big secret. In 2021, we were kind of fooling around, looking at some, some line on chessboard. Uh, and it was like... It was in St. Louis. It was like right here. 
it was, I think, before a tournament, before American Championship, or after, I can't quite remember. And I had this idea of a line which is kind of popular and annoying, which is the E3 Nimzo, and if C5, then Knight E2, and it's, it's very, very popular, and it's supposed mm-hmm. to be like a little bit annoying for black. And then I had this idea of like Knight C6, and something which computer initially hates, which is uh, exactly what happened in the game, to play c4, and then you allow bishop h7, and you end up with this really weird structure. White has a center, black has lost to the h pawn, black has like all these pass pawns on the queen side. Mm-hmm. Engine kind of hates it and then warms up to the idea. And he actually got like serious winning chances today with it, but eventually it ended in a draw. With the black pieces. So, yep. I, I mean, I actually like to see my ideas end up on the board, even if I don't get to play them myself. And of course, it's also his idea because we were working together. The thing is, I actually did play this idea against, uh, so it wasn't a fully new. I played it in an Armageddon game against uh, Serana, and I got a very good position. I lost the Armageddon <laughs> game, so I feel uh, at least like it got one good result, yeah, draw against Wesley. Um, but it felt a bit stupid when I... From a position of uh, of strength, actually. For sure, yeah, was, yeah. I'm looking at, at the game right now, and the engine is saying like minus two at some point. So Yeah, he, it was a queen sacrifice. It was probably very tough to win it, but... Definitely I think he like he was happy with the draw at some point because he simplified. <laughs> he he like forced the draw with black. Yeah, and yeah. he beat Anish in an interesting game. Like he got, he played a very tame line in the anti-Berlin, got basically nothing from the opening. It seemed like Anish got nervous. He played nervous move f5. Mm-hmm. Seemed like basically you play f5 because you want a blockade, but I I think this kind of that this these positions are unpleasant for black are known. Um, in a slightly different structure from the game Carlson Shiro from the uh, 2021 Grand Swiss. Mm -hmm. Basically, black is very solid, has a blockade on e6, white has a passed e5 pawn, which isn't moving anytime soon. But in the long term, it actually does play a role. This passed pawn, at some point, uh, you know, black can't really do anything because you always have to look after this pawn blockaded, and then you end up getting, like, stretched thin on both sides. And I, I once used this knowledge in a blitz game against Lanier as well to win. Like these these positions, they look very solid, but they end up being unpleasant almost always. So Anish plays f5, and it ends up being unpleasant for him in the long run. While he he was the tiniest bit worse before that, and not really worse if he hadn't gone for that. So that that was a bit of a surprising decision, but a good game from Levon. Um, besides that, he played like a great game against Abdustarv, like brilliant, uh, just clinical. He mm-hmm. beat a dragon. It was r- mm-hmm. weird to see. You don't yeah. see the dragon too often. What right? was that? What was that? The, that decision by Abdusatorov to actually go for the dragon. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I kind of like. like rec- why would you do that? Like, okay, Abdusatorov is working with Rustam. Yes. And Rustam likes. He's like a creative opening player. Sure. He likes to be creative in the opening. And these days with modern engines, you can be very creative, because we realize that the. Margin of error is is um, much bigger than we thought. Like you have a lot of freedom with the black pieces. It's not that there's only one good way to play chess. You actually have a, a wide choice in the opening of. So I, I I don't know for sure, but I feel like Rustam is is looking around trying to experiment in different openings. Also, I mean we we looked at the dragon a little bit during Tadastil as well, and we realized it's not actually not that easy to it, get the decisive advantage. No, it's it's not it's not easy. And nobody pays attention to it. Yeah, it's not fun for black and white knows it, <laughs> but but nobody like remembers. I, I have a feeling, or remembers very vaguely. So people don't take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, you feel like you can get a get away with it on a 
here and there, sort of um, like one-time basis. And also, Abjustar played the Benko against... Uh, Nepomiyashi. Against Jan. And at some point, I was also like checking the Benko, trying to figure out, is this like... Can you do this in rapid games? Is this still a viable opening? And I, I kind of concluded that it is a viable, viable opening. I mean, you can play the Benko. I wouldn't recommend that you play it as like your main repertoire. But it's not as bad as was thought. Like, I remember the Benko had a decent reputation for a while. Like, if we're going back decades. And then, at some point, like the old way of playing the Benko, it, it was discovered that... Um, that basically white can doesn't have to play g3 bishop g2 mm-hmm. but knight c3 e4 yeah. yeah can take on f1 and then play a4 at some point and basically black runs out of counterplay that was supposed to kill the benko and now they play with queen a5 instead of taking on a6 yeah that was that was like the sort of mini revival mm-hmm. and then queen a5 got refuted yeah and then the like revival revival was the way duba plays which is to play an early e6 and that's kind of the way that like it's clear Abdusatarov also wanted to do that, but then he mixed it up. He got a lost position at move seven. Yeah, yeah he was mixing and up. He his was lines. blitzing up his moves. Yeah, this was. I think it was typical. Like you want to show that you know it. Yeah. And you've analyzed it, but you don't remember it too clearly because it's a new opening, and then you mix everything up and get a bad position. And but the fact that he was going early e six, and after e d five ninety five bishop e seven specifically, it shows that he was thinking about this in another line and. I won't like go through the moves of what line he he wanted to play, but he completely mixed up with like the main line of the du- I what I call like the Dubov Benko, which is um, okay. We don't have to go into details of it, but <laughs> but yeah, this at some point I was trying to revive it this way also, and you can kind of do it. It's like it's a bit of a miserable position if White knows it, but who who actually is checking this stuff with White? Like you have so many bigger problems if you're playing D four. You know you have to. I was talking to Lenier the other day because we were at this like Spassky event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boris Spassky Jr., his son, the great world champion's son, came to St. Louis. I was talking to Lenier about chessable bit, and he covered. He did a chessable course, which I haven't seen, but um, oh my god! <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we're gonna get so much shit for that. I was just looking at the chessboard. Oh my goodness! But like Lanier said that he did a chessboard course on the on the Neo Tarish or whatever it's I'm called. Blaming our producer for that. I think uh... <laughs> this. No, it was, it was set up this way when we got here, so no one's to blame. All right. But yeah, he said he did a chessboard course on like the some kind of modern Tarish, and if you're playing D4, these are the kind of openings that you mostly worry about, like the super solid Tarishes and not the Benko Gambit. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, tell me how uh, the Boris Pesky Jr. event was. I was planning on coming to that, but I just simply got sick and I couldn't. I was actually looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, he came here with his family. I, I didn't know much about him, much about the son of yeah. Boris Pesky. I, I don't know how old he is. He, he looks very good. He looks like a young guy. But I don't know. I, I assume he's like in his 40s, 40s? but he, I would say that he's, he looks younger. So I don't know exactly. Uh, seems like a, a really nice cultured guy. He's French. Mm-hmm. So uh, Spassky, of course, was Soviet world champion. But after the match, uh, after 72, when he lost to, to Fischer, in 75, he met a woman who was working in the French consulate in Russia, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's... I, I might be getting the story wrong. 
And uh, uh, we just heard that he's 42, right? 42. 42 yes. years old. But he, I would say he looks like mid to late 30s. So he, he, he looks good for his age. And uh, so th- they had a son, um, Boris Baskey Jr. And uh, yeah, very nice cultured guy. Speaks English really well. Speaks Italian. Really? I think he's studying in Italy. Speaks French, of course. I probably speaks Russian, I would assume. I, I don't, um, because I guess that was also a language that they might have been speaking along with French growing up. And he was telling stories about his father. It was like a Q&A session, but it was mostly him telling stories about his father. Uh, I had like two questions for him. Mm-hmm. Other people had, had a variety of questions, like, uh, you know, what kind of music did your father like? And to be honest, I, I don't didn't recognize the who he mentioned it was like old old soviet uh, artist um my questions were uh how did he look back on the 72 match was it with regret was it uh like and he actually said that his it was father. more yeah that his father that boris Baski, uh had more of like a sense of relief from the match and he said specifically that the soviet union the the government the state uh did sanction him and did like put pressure on him after the match that he had to face some like some turbulent you know times hmm. uh, of course that like there was a story of because he lost or because he was let's say showing some sort of uh friendliness towards so I, I think it was first of all because he lost which was uh to an american it's pretty like yeah. pretty bad considering the the uh political times and I think the other thing was that he had a chance, basically, to leave the match yeah. after Fisher forfeited. He could have just left. And I don't really know what that would have done for the match. But uh, but I think he faced some pushback that he should have just left mm. and, I guess, remained world champion because he wouldn't have played Fisher. And he probably, probably would have just... been a similar situation to what happened between uh, Karpov and Kasparov. Yeah. The that they match. would have just rescheduled the match? It's it's really hard Maybe. to say. Uh, it's really hard to say. I don't know. It might have been that Fisher just forfeits the match. I mean, like for sure, Gary and his great predecessor's book covers this in more detail. And I read that book once and I don't remember the basically the details of this whole situation. But yeah, I, I think Spassky had to face some like tough questions for basically, mostly for losing the match. But he said that what his father's uh, philosophy wa- at the time was that he wanted, he thought Fisher was a unique challenge, a great challenge, and he wanted to take up the challenge. And also, he had a good record against Fisher at the time. His, uh, Ju- Spassky Jr.'s uh, words. So, right now, the door at uh, the place where we're uh, filming just opened without anybody actually trying to come in. Hopefully there's no ghosts around, but uh, yeah, continue. Where were we? (laughs) (laughs) I I know, I know. You guys cannot see, but uh, maybe we have some intruders. So, um, yeah, he thought, he he used the words track record, so he had a good Mm -hmm. track record against Fisher at the time, and that's true, of course. But at the same time, Fisher was uh, on, on, on the upswing, like, he was getting better and better with each yeah, and every tournament and going into the match he was considered to be the favorite 
Well, I, I don't know about despite their if that I mean like record. he had this huge streak. Of course, he won six zero against Taimanov, six zero against um, um, oh my god, I'm blanking, blanking. This is really bad to blank on. <laughs> Help me out here. I don't um, know. Geller, I no. No, 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 no. Um, this but, is really bad. But Vinik, no. But Vinik, no, no, no. Uh, what, what am yeah, I talking about? To, <laughs> I need to brush up on my uh, history as um, well. Definitely not, but Vinik. Okay, this is terrible, but uh, at some point the name will, will, will come. We'll edit it. We'll put it somewhere. And and then, okay, he, he beat Taimanov in, uh, like, I think, what was it, four and a half, one and a half? Mm-hmm. Um, so he basically, like, swept swept the the, uh, the path leading yeah. um, leading up to, to the match. But I don't know if he was considered a favorite. Um, I think by rating, he was... Definitely a favorite. Yeah, but going the ratings the at the time. I mean, okay, the ratings were like Spassky was twenty six something, and 10, he was and twenty seven twenty seven ninety five. Yeah, or eighty five. Huge favorite. Yeah, yeah. But based on is, ratings. Uh, yeah, this like name is killing me. <laughs> just, and when I say the name, you'll be like, how how can you? Uh, seventy one candidates, Fisher. Uh, Larson, Ben Larson, Ben Larson. That okay. was it. We got there it. we go. Uh, we got it. So yeah, we got Ben Larson. No, it was like killing me for a second. Um, <laughs> so it, where where was I? Well, we were discussing about um, Spassky's views on uh, match yeah. and feelings yeah, that's, that after was my, the match. That was of my, my first question to him was yeah. about that, and the second question was regarding this movie from Russia with Love. I asked mm-hmm. him what is father thought of that movie and he didn't give me a very clear answer because i i think he he mentioned stein and i don't know if there was like but the the chess scene uh from russia with love i haven't seen it so so um so it's based on the book right uh the james bond book and and at the start of the movie there's a scene between two players kronstein against McAdams and there's like a demonstration board and it shows this game which was played between Spassky and Bronstein from the King's Gambit which was like a nice game that Spassky won and, and so I thought like I mean imagine if your chess game ended of up in a, in a James Bond movie right? yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean that would be like a Significant. Pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty nice feeling so that's why I asked him about it I also wasn't sure what to ask so you know it was very interesting he gave like a lot of history on his did father. you guys have a dinner afterwards like a private yeah, yeah. dinner or but i wasn't seated at his table mm. so so it was were... pretty big it was a big event yeah it was i mean it was all chess people mm-hmm. i think it was like more of a private event mm. but it was pretty big i would say 30 people yeah it wasn't open to the public so this is like you know the entire like st louis University chess team was there, other players, uh, player from your university was there, Dorsa Derek Shani mm-hmm. was there. Yep. Uh, with I think her mother, I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. Yep. And um, Lanier came. I'm sure that Levon would have come if he was in the country, but but he's playing, right? Yeah, no, I I, I really have regrets not being able to attend this one. I was looking forward to it. Um, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Um, and you might be asking why. Boris Pasky Jr. was here is because uh, he donated a lot of uh, memorabilia from his father's library mm-hmm. to uh, the World uh, Chess Hall of Fame, which is here in St. Louis. So yeah, as it, a sign of appreciation. I think it's sticking around, that exhibit. 
for yes. a while. So yeah. if anyone, it, it should. It's an incredible yeah. exhibit. Anyone wants to check it out, no. come visit. Yeah. Uh, definitely worth it. I mean, visit the club, but also visit uh, this one. It's one of the most important, let's say, exhibits that I believe they've uh, they've had here at the World Chess Hall of Fame in the past few years. So yeah, it's it's a really good exhibit. I mean, a lot of a lot of that stuff gets lost to history. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how many like, like you things have score got lost. sheets. And, uh, yeah. Well, the thing incredible. is, now everything's of course on the on the computer. Yeah. But back in the day, you had to handwrite everything, and I, I assume everything it was in Cyrillic. Opening um, no- notebooks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it it's would take, impressive. So like, go through that stuff and understand it. It would take a, a Russian chess player or a Russian-speaking chess player. But yeah, it's it's definitely very interesting. I like I can't imagine the amount of stuff that was lost during World War II, for example. And in fact, Varakobian went uh, to Paris last year and uh, looked and analyzed all of these uh, uh, historical artifacts. So yeah, definitely worth visiting. Glad that he was able to make uh, his way to St. Louis and uh, see the World Chess Hall of Fame and the exhibit as well and discuss with you guys. I mean... That must have been quite interesting. Cool. Um, big events also happening. Let's finish it Finish it up with this one is uh, the uh, Pro Chess League. You guys lost your first match. The Archbishops played against the, not the Pandas. I think it's the Tigers nowadays. It used to be the Pandas. Shanghai now it's uh, Shanghai uh, Tigers, okay, I, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to play a match because I was traveling. You were traveling. I wanted to. Did not play that match. That was uh, quite a difficult uh, match for St. Louis. But now you're playing tomorrow. Yeah, we're playing an Indian team. Mm-hmm. It's like MGD1. I, I might be getting that wrong, but I think that's the name of the team. It's strong. It's There's like two Indian teams, right? There's the Indian Yogis. Indian and there's Yogis. this one, which is with... The team, the lineup that we'll be playing is Arjun, Eric Aisi, um, Ariban, mm-hmm. uh, Baskaran, and Harika, mm-hmm. who is the fourth board, and a guy I don't know too well. I don't know if he lives in India or in the United States, Aditya Mittal. No, definitely in, the, in India. Okay, for sure, right? Because if he like, was living in the U.S., I would be trying to get him to the university. So, someone like mentioned... He's only 16 but, years of age or ah, okay, 17 right now. He's yeah, I, I like checked him. He he's super well, like his repertoire is not a random repertoire. It's like no. very he's 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 good. Very well thought out repertoire. It's not a typical like young person's repertoire. Let's say. Yeah, no, his studio is very very good. He's improving fast, close to twenty six hundred, I think. Definitely, um, I have my eyes on him as potentially the next big thing yeah. coming out yeah, of, he's, from he's India. Yeah, he's very good. good also, guy. our team is um, who are you guys playing with? So Theodore on board one. Yeah, Theodoru, Theodoru. Kobian, Var Varushna Kobian, and Rochelle Wu. Rochelle Wu, okay. Who is like I don't know, sixteen as well, right? Like very maybe young. seventeen. Yeah, maybe seventeen along those lines. So I, very I, young. I think a lot of the if she does well, I think we have very good chances. If she can like get a point or a point and a half, I think we really have good chances. That's probably the big discrepancy between your team and, and, and the Indian team is... Uh, but I could see you're doing well against Harika. Harika is, you know, 2450, 2500 or whatever. Rochelle is like close to 2300, but not even yeah. that. So that's a big difference right there. Yeah, but then again, they have you. Um, 
Well, okay. The other is like, I mean, I mean, Aragaisi is also very like. I wouldn't say that I'm clearly higher level than Aragaisi in in Rapid and Blitz. Um, I I do actually have good results against him, but yeah, it's it's very it's like close to fifty fifty between us in that individual game, I guess. Teodoro, I think, is definitely I would take, online better than Adiban. I, I I agree with that. Yeah, I was gonna say that because Teodoro is not as well known, and Adiban is good, but like Teodoro is very very dangerous in these. He's so good online. He's been like thirty one hundred yeah. plus in yeah. Blitz on Chess.com. Yeah. This is he's, not Blitz. He's good. He's good. But yeah, he's really good. And Adiban is is very hit and miss. He's like he's a very interesting player, very good, but he can have a great day, he can have a bad day. So yeah. that's that's also and then okay, VAR is solid. Like VAR, I expect to play solidly. And could, Aditya we don't actually yeah. know too much about. That could be also a board where it's a bit shaky for them, maybe, right? Like yeah. I don't know, it's gonna be probably a close match. I've seen a lot of matches this week. All of them have been like wipeouts. Yeah. Kind of weird. And I I feel like this is a close match. I hope that I'm not proven wrong. Except the Chess Bros. The Chess Bros actually had a couple of very close matches. They won uh, against... Was it against... Who is the one they're playing for? I don't know. Charlotte. Charlotte Cobras. Okay. They had a very close match against them in uh, week one, I uh, believe. And it came down to the last match between a wonder with the white pieces against Magnus, a wonder with a crushing. Oh, I saw that game. Yeah, position yeah. Mm-hmm. seven and a half, seven and a half. This is the last game of uh, the round, and Magnus manages to swindle yeah. a wonder. That's a wonder re- refuses the repetition, doesn't yeah. want to draw, and then Magnus swindles him, and the Chess Bros win the match eight and a half to seven yeah, and a half. That's that's a heartbreaker. And then I saw their other one. They were like... Against the Indian yogis. They were crushing them early on. And then... Seven and a half to uh, four and a half. Mm-hmm. Indian yogis need three and a half to tie the match. And they score 4-0 and win the match. Yeah, Magnus, if he had won, that would have been it, right? And he was winning against Vidit. Against Vidit. And he lost. He was like mating him by force. Yeah. I Yeah. So I guess that those balance out. Something. More or less. Like, it's funny that it came down to Magnus's game, and one time it went his way, and the other time it went the other way. It might actually have been 7-5, seven to seven five, and they lost 9-7. Not 7.5 okay. seven to 4.5. So maybe it didn't matter that much, but um, if you would have made a draw or, or okay. lost. Yeah, I didn't like. I didn't check the scores. I check the games. I don't really check the scores, but... Uh, and there's so many games, I kind of like... They all get mixed up in my memory. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I did see that vivid game. And also, it like made the news, right? Vidic, it's exciting. It did make the news. Magnus in, in a crucial game. So yeah, we'll see what happens tomorrow. I, I don't really know the format. Like, I, I I'm just gonna show up and play. It's four v four. Everybody no, plays I know that, everybody. But I don't know the format of the, like the entire event. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I don't bother. Like, I'll much. play and I'll let uh, Mike Comer figure out the. Mike Comer is uh, the the manager. Uh, Nemo, aka Chiyuzu, is the captain. The right. captain of the St. Louis Archbishops. Yeah. So how uh, how did that play out? Are you guys being managed in any way? Are they telling you what what to play? Like what's what's? Uh, um, I've only been in touch. What's the with, backstory with uh, Mike? Yeah, he asked me if I could play the first one. I told him I couldn't. Uh, he asked me if I could play this one. I told him I could. Hmm. So I don't know. Much besides that, I mean that I I'll play if I can, and 
I leave the rest up to uh, Mike and Nemo, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, this is the first time that we've had like captain plus manager. And manager, I mean, yeah. I, I I think that they want to bring like because uh, Nemo is like signed with the gaming company and she's very popular. Some sort of an esports feel. Yeah, yeah. They they yeah. want to like bring the esports element into it, which is good, uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, like bring some popular names into the yeah into the tournament. I think they had like a wider thing that they didn't manage to get going, which was they wanted to actually get esports teams involved, and they probably wanted to do it like last year, and it didn't. I don't think they could manage everything, get it all going. It's probably a huge amount, and I think at some point these esports companies got hit financially. Yeah, at some point, and that there's was been like, a lot of layoffs in the last. That couple was one of, months. of the reasons why they couldn't get it in the way that they wanted. So, uh, so definitely like a bit of a more modest approach compared to maybe what chess.com was hoping for. Yeah, definitely a, a fun event to watch. And most likely we will have regular season and uh, a uh, ensuing playoff. That's a speculation since we both don't know the exact format, but that's what they used to have. That's pretty much was the most exciting. So lots of fun events coming up. You have the American Cup. We have the next um, champion champions chess tour event which is also coming up before the american cup so that's going to be exciting maybe i'll play that as well but i'm sure we'll get into it at a later time dude welcome back to the u.s uh it's been fun i think we covered a lot of ground we covered a lot of topics a lot of interesting and exciting topics in the world of chess and we'll be back next week with plenty more now um Let's talk about how people can reach us and support us. Discord, that's a big one. We've been uh, hanging around in the Discord. So if you want, go check it down below. Don't yeah, forget. And uh, and also for the people in the Discord, I yeah. encourage people to chat. Oh, yeah. Everyone's very shy. Please chat. We got a... I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Sit back. I'm not sure what the sit back. <laughs> All right, got it. Our um, producer, once again, telling me to sit back in the chair. My yeah, for anyone goodness. who joins Discord, encourage you guys to uh, to talk because we have a lot of people. It's like a 1,200 or so by now. It's a fast-growing Discord, but, so but join people, in the action. People are very quiet. Um, besides that... Uh, I think it's because we were a bit quiet in the last couple of days, um, mostly because I was sick and you were traveling. But mm-hmm. we're back. We're definitely back into the mix, so... Come hang out. You can reach us at pretty much any time of the day, wherever you are. That's uh, the main thing. And then obviously we do have a TikTok. We do have a Clips channel. And uh, also like, subscribe to this channel. And don't forget, spread the word. Tell your friends where you're hanging out and what podcasts you're watching. So those are the ways in which you can support the channel for the moment. Fabi, yeah. anything to add? No. I, uh, well, you just reminded me of a scene from a movie. There's something about Mary. I don't know if you remember that. You don't remember that. He's talking to his psychologist or psychiatrist, but he's like facing this way and the guy's behind him. 
And then <laughs> I was facing the wrong camera, I think. Yes. And then he realizes, <laughs> well, he doesn't realize, but like we see that there's nobody there. And yeah. then the psychologist like rushes into the room wearing like a, a napkin. And yeah. he just like came from lunch and he wasn't listening to him at all. And, and then he like, he sits down and the psychologist has no idea what he's talking about. He's been talking for like an hour. <laughs> and then I won't like, I don't know how politically correct this, uh, this movie is anymore. So I won't mention the next part, but but with something you said about Hangouts reminded me of that movie. Beautiful. I think it's the best way to live it on. Comment with the end of that scene of that movie, if you know what it is. Um, even if it's not politically correct, we'll figure it out. <laughs> anyway, cheers, guys. We'll see you next week. Peace.